Amen. Well, hello, Radiant. My name is Kyle Kennecott. I oversee our student ministry here. Uh, and uh, we'll be in John chapter 9. And so please open up in your Bibles to John chapter 9. Um, and also put your finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be there towards the end of the sermon. But um, as, as I said, my name is Kyle. Uh, and at, uh, Pastor Nate, he said last week that we greatly prioritize discipleship. And it is great to see how God is at work through our discipleship efforts, especially over this last month of where we had our middle school retreat this last weekend. We had our high school retreat the weekend before that. Uh, and uh, with all that is going on in our student ministry, uh, would you please commit to praying for them? Uh, pray for our students, add them to, their, to your prayer list, that they would grow in Christ and that they would help uh, you know, others grow along the way as well. To do this ministry, especially among students, it's really no easy task for it requires sacrifice and it is a joy to model Christ's sacrifice to our parents and our students. So especially with this Thanksgiving weekend, if you know of a student leader today, would you please go out of your way to thank them? Thank them for the sacrifice that they make uh, Sunday, each and every Sunday evening. Um, now, we have a lot of ground to cover in John chapter 9, and you're going to be hearing my voice a lot. And so uh, because you'll be hearing me a lot, I thought, hey, let's have two students uh, read John chapter 9 to us. So uh, Clara and Reina Diaz will be reading uh, John chapter 9. So uh, please read along with them. Uh, and so Clara, you can start us off. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back saying. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that our son, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. 
But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said to him, he is of age. Ask him. So the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and, he is he, and it is he who is speaking to you. Jesus said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, we are, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you in your precious word, asking that your spirit would do a work in the lives of your people through your word. And so, Father, please illuminate our hearts. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. May you be made much of in this moment right now. Father, may the meditations of my thoughts and the words of my mouth be honorable and acceptable in your sight. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Light is needed in order to see clearly. Light is needed in order to see clearly. Now, I'm one to admit of where uh, I am afraid of the dark. I have this fear, and yet I'm one of where I like to overcome fears quite often. And so uh, students, for some reason, they like night games. Like, I understand I was a student once, but even then, like, I was not a big fan of night games, like sardines or whatever it may be. Like, I'm just like, all right, just keep me in the light. But... Uh, when it comes to student ministry, I decided, all right, you know, I'll humble myself for these students. We'll, we'll play some night games. And so we played a game that was called Werewolf. Uh, and Werewolf is where I go out into the darkness of the camp uh, and they have to try to find me. Uh, I make howling noises and they have to try to come and find me. 
Now, the high school students at our high school retreat, uh, I can proudly say that they were unable to find me. So that was a win on, on my back. Um, but the middle school students, uh, you can, you know, pridefully say this to the high school students because you did find me, uh, some of you. But uh, uh, when it comes to being in the dark, like alone, I was afraid. <laughs> like, you know, uh, like, I'm hearing rumblings through the leaves. I'm thinking it's like a raccoon that's coming out to get me or a coyote. Like, I am afraid. Uh, and yet, there's a sense of pride in me of where I don't want to be seen, so I'm going to be in the dark and, and go through this game. And so I'm running through the trees, running through everything in the darkness, cannot see. I'm tripping over trees. I'm uh, tripping over branches and whatnot. I almost hit a tree right in the face. <laughs> uh, and uh, there was one moment of where, like, I'm running, and then all of a sudden there's this hill that drops about five feet, and I tumble down that. There was another hill that was 10 feet that I tumbled down. Uh, light is needed in order for us to see. All of us in this room, uh, we are spiritually in darkness and we are needing Jesus as the light of the world to illuminate our hearts. And so John 9 speaks about this. John chapter 9 operates much like a courtroom drama. Uh, and there's a lot of humor that we'll see in this text. But within this drama, it's divided into three acts. Act 1 is the healing. Act 2 is the trial. And Act 3 is the resolution. Within each act, we will see that the text prompts us to ask a certain question, and then we'll see how the text answers that question. And so we are intended to understand this miracle in connection with what Jesus taught at the festival in chapter 8, where Jesus stood before the crowd and he said, I am the light of the world. He makes the same claim in chapter 9, and this miracle of healing the blind man authenticates his claim. And so we're going to see that this story, this true story of uh, the blind man being healed acts as a parable for our story. Each of us, we are spiritually blind and in need, in need of the light of the world to come and illuminate our hearts. And so let's dive into the story with act one, the healing. The text reads that Jesus saw a blind man from birth. Like I just picture Jesus is going about through the crowds and he sees this man, this beggar sitting down, wanting somebody to help him. He is absolutely helpless. I mean, we'll even see that his parents totally neglect him, probably kicked him out of the house, and he is just alone by himself begging. And I just picture and I wonder what's going through Jesus's mind. I mean, here's a moment of where he's about to show compassion to this man. He, he probably sees us in this man who are blind from birth, unable to see. And his disciples just have to go and ruin it. <laughs> of where they say to Jesus, who sinned to cause this man to be blind? I mean, you see, it was common within the Jewish tradition of the day to trace suffering to sin. Though this was well-intended, it had shameful ramifications. It was well-intended because the Jewish people didn't want to pin suffering on God for doing it. Um, but we see, I mean, you see this logic, this line of thinking with most prominently within the book of Job of where Job's friends are really bad examples to follow. 
But we see that it is not a result of sinful disobedience that caused this man to be born blind, but that is according to what? The works of God to be displayed in him, as Jesus says. So in God's mysterious and wise provision, God, God has allowed this man to go through hardships so that uh, he can experience God's gracious mercy. Jesus's response in verse four is almost like a nice way of saying to the disciples that their question is hindering Jesus from God's work. I mean, they, didn't, they did just interrupt him in his moment of compassion. And Jesus is saying to them, I am only here for so long. And there is so much that the father has for me, has for us to do. Let's get to work in the world because I am the light of the world. That's what Jesus is essentially telling them. And so Jesus then goes on to heal this man in a very peculiar, odd way by spitting on the ground, making mud, rubbing it on his face. I mean, his act of healing here is not prescriptive for us to go and do likewise. That would be pretty disgusting. Um, but in fact, Jesus uh, heals uh, in many different ways so that he doesn't prescribe to us a method of healing. So why does he do it this way? I believe that it is because Jesus wants to heal the man so that he can testify to the works of God to the Pharisees, which we'll see in a little bit. But this moment does bring us an important question. And the question is, how does God heal? Did the man have to earn anything to gain his sight? Do we uh, even see him demonstrate faith in Jesus? No, not, not exactly. The man has no idea who Jesus is, and it's not until the end of the story that he acknowledges him as the Christ. For all we know in the text, Jesus didn't give him a reason to go down to the pool and wash. He just simply said, go down to the pool, and then his sight was uh, uh, given to him. And so we see that the story, uh, this, I mean, in this, this man did not do anything to deserve this healing, and yet it was by God's sovereign grace. So how does God heal? It is by the gracious light of God. By the gracious light of God. Jesus is the light of the world that graciously healed this man. And just as we said earlier on, this man, this, this, uh, this true story acts in a way of a parable about us. We are the blind man that can do nothing to deserve our sight. Each of us have done wrong before God. We have greatly offended him. And that offense is passed down from generation to generation. For David even says in Psalm 51 verse 5, In sin did my mother conceive me. Paul quotes Psalms as well. No one is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for the true God. All have turned aside. Not even one follows after God. We are in spiritual darkness, in need of light. We are the blind beggar desiring for someone to help us. But thanks be to God that he saw us, that he saw me, a blind beggar in need of help. And he showed his amazing grace to blind man from the moment of his birth. Ephesians 2 states it this way, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. God is at work in the world and the lives of people to show his grace, his favor, not by anything that we can do, but by his own free gift. There's nothing that we could do to earn this spiritual sight, but only by his amazing grace. For the famous hymn has stated, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Praise God. Praise God for this amazing grace. And as you go home, as you go into your small groups, testify about this grace. Testify about God. Tell God's story of how he is at work in your life, how he brought you out of darkness into light by his free gift. Testify about that. The story doesn't end there with the man just receiving his sight as much as we would love the story to end with us receiving sight. (laughs) But the story continues just as ours does, doesn't it? For the world puts us just like this man on trial. And so this brings us to the second act, the trial. And it brings us to ask this question of, will I face resistance for testifying to the truth? Will we face resistance for testifying to the truth? And I think a lot of us, we would agree in saying, yes, we will. And but here's the encouragement. Yes, but continue to testify to God's gracious work. Continue to testify to God's gracious work. This man is going to be going through an intense trial. And yet he continues to testify to God's gracious work. The first resistance that we see is personal unbelief. For right after this man was healed, he was surrounded by those who knew him. Uh, It says in verse Verse eight, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, all of his personal colleagues were around him. His personal friends were around him. And they're wondering, they're asking, hey, is this him? No, it's not him. It's somebody that's like him. And the man just kept on saying, I am the man. Even in the midst of his friends, his neighbors denying Those closest to him, he's testifying, I am he. I was blind, but now I see. Many of us in this room, we will face resistance, especially from those that are personal to us. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your coworkers. They may not understand our sight, but even then we must continue to testify to God's gracious work. Continue in doing this. But the people, they don't really know what to do, so they actually seek out legal help. And here we see that they bring him before the Pharisees, and this is where the trial really starts to get heated and begin. The Pharisees, they're upset right at the beginning because they hear that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, (laughs) which is just like so arrogant of like, hey, This man was blind, now he sees. You're upset about Jesus doing this work on the Sabbath? I mean, 
continually Jesus has healed on the Sabbath and they just keep on getting angrier and angrier. (laughs) And the Pharisees are upset about this, but why are they upset? Well, when it comes to Jewish customs, Jewish rules, they had 39 classes of work that were forbidden on the Sabbath. One of those areas of work was kneading dough. And so Jesus, he spit on the ground, made mud, kneading the mud, and they're upset about that, which gives us maybe a clue as to why Jesus healed in the way he did, (laughs) was just to get at the Pharisees a little bit. But you see, when it comes to these Pharisees, they're, they're disputing over Jesus. They're disputing of what's going on. They don't really know what to do. I mean, look at verse, uh, verse 8 for a moment, or yeah, verse, uh, verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. They were just going back and forth, and the the man who was formerly blind is watching all of this transpire. (laughs) But when it comes to these Pharisees that don't really know what to do with Jesus and their legal unbelief that we're seeing here, it brings us to ask the question of, do we, are we prone to legalism? As we examine our hearts, are there well-intended legal practices that we are instituting in hopes that it brings us to honor God when it actually neglects us from seeing the work of God? You know, for instance, we are a culture that I think prides itself on rest, which God has instituted for our good, but is your priority in rest keeping you from working for the Lord to bring God glory? Sabbath rest is good and made for man, but it isn't to be worshiped at the expense of neglecting the work of God in the lives of people. You see, rest is important, but seek to find ways to testify to the works of God and have that be your rest. Look at Jesus and how often he worked by performing miracles on the Sabbath. This theology of rest and and Sabbath rest has really uh, uh, influenced me of where when I came here, uh, it, was, it was pretty exhausting to come to church in the morning and then have radiant students in the evening. Of where I was like, oh my goodness, this is a long day. <laughs> but as I started studying God's word, as I started having his word inform me of what rest means, there is something so beautiful about starting my day in worship with God's people and ending my day in worship with God's people. Of where it may, may not be physical rest, but it's godly rest of serving the Lord. There's something rejuvenating about that. There's so much that could be said about this, but we must get back to the trial. You know, like I said, this questioning goes back and forth amongst the, the Pharisees. They're trying to understand what's going on, who this, who this man, who Jesus is. Um, and so far, the blind man, the former blind man has just been testifying to the facts, but now he's asked a personal question. And in the midst of legalism, they don't res- he doesn't respond with fear, but he actually responds with boldness. And so this man, they, they come to him, ask him for his opinion in verse 17. What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? Is he a prophet? Or sorry, uh, he said, he is a prophet. 
He is a prophet. He is becoming more and more attuned to who Jesus is. Uh, and he testifies in the midst of the spotlight being on him for his personal opinion to not respond with fear, but to respond with boldness. And now we will see that his parents responded with fear instead of boldness for they demonstrated to us fearful unbelief. They call in the parents. They don't know what to do. They're trying to discredit Jesus. They're trying to discredit his miracle of where, hey, maybe this man wasn't born blind. Maybe he became blind. And then, you know, just, just naturally uh, his sight was restored to him. They're trying to find any way to discredit Jesus. So they bring in the parents. And let me just say, if, you're, if students are in the room, like turn to your parents right now and just be like, I am so thankful that you're not these parents. <laughs> like these parents are despicable. They have a son that is blind from birth and he is outcast in, uh, from their home. They come in to testify and, the, uh, and all they do is just simply testify that, yeah, he's our son, he was born blind, but you know, the rest we'll just leave to him out of fear of the Jews. They don't wanna be kicked out of the synagogue. And so the legal pressures brought fear upon these parents to testify to the truth. And this brings an important question for us of, are we feeling these pressures of fear? Many of our students that are in the public school system, I'm sure are, where it feels like a completely different world of where they, they feel the shame of even just mentioning Christ. Many of you that work in a secular job, I can think of a few of you personally that have conveyed this tension of where they're wanting to institute certain policies within your workplace that you're not really sure whether or not you can still work for that company because of your Christian beliefs. Our response should not be fear, but boldness in testifying to the gracious work of God in Christ Jesus. And so they have this fearful unbelief. They say he is of age, go ask him, continue with the trial with him. We don't want anything to do with him. And then this is where the hostility really starts to begin with the man. And so now we move into hostile unbelief of where the religious leaders, they feel stuck. They can't dispute the miracle, nor can they acknowledge that Jesus is from God. Their last effort is to have this healed man uh, talk bad about Jesus's character. They want him to say that he's a sinner, but the man refuses in a pretty uh, comical, comical way. And so let's, let's read it for, for a little bit. So first they say to the blind man, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. How, how arrogant. I mean, these people, they, they've been seeing all their lives and yet they're blind. <laughs> the man who has only had his sight for less than a couple of hours is seeing more clearly than they are. He's glorifying God um, more than they are. And they're saying to him out of arrogance and pride, out of their blindness, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He's broken our customs. And he answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Isn't that our story? 
you may not have a full comprehension of a systematic theology or understand the full scope of the biblical narrative, but we all who claim to believe in Jesus can testify to the fact that we were blind, but now we see. Testify to what you know about Jesus, that he is your savior, that he is your Lord. You were blind, now you see testify to what you know. And we see this example so often within the gospel of John, especially with the woman of Samaria. And so he responds in this way. And the Pharisees, uh, they want to know more about the process and maybe they can, you know, hook Jesus and knowing more about the process of how this healing took, took place. And I love his response. If anybody says there's, oh, the Bible is so dry and boring. Nope, it's very humorous. Let's, let's read about this. He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> oh my goodness, I love, I love this. I love that he is acting in such boldness here. He's like, hey, I've already told you. <laughs> but that really gets the Pharisees angry. They respond in hostility again by saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. <laughs> and again, here's some little humor for us. Verse 30, why this is an amazing thing. <laughs> you do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Isn't this, I mean, think back to what we just read in chapter nine. He is using the Pharisees' logic that caused division against themselves. Of where he, uh, earlier we read, um, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And now he's responding with that argument and saying, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's teaching to them. He's testifying to the truth. He sees things clearly while these Pharisees in their pride and in their arrogance do not. And so it really grinds their gears. And they respond you were born in utter sin. There's that bad theology. And would you teach us, they say? And they cast him out of the synagogue. I mean, this hostile unbelief brings us to think about um, ourselves and the hostility that we face as Christians. I mean, here's a man of where uh, he was excommunicated from the synagogue. He's cut off religiously and socially for stating the obvious that Jesus is from God. But God never promises that following him will make life easier. My friends, my dear saints, we need a renewed theology of suffering, of being a, uh, like Jesus, who was the suffering servant. We need to serve Christ, not out of our comfortability, but out of sacrifice, just as he sacrificed for us. And so now this is where we turn to 2 Corinthians, of where I hope uh, you, you've had your finger there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, one of the most prominent examples of suffering for Christ is Paul. 
of where Paul talks about his great labors for the Lord in chapter 11, verse 23, of where he says, I've had far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. And now this is where I believe Paul starts to rap a little bit. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardships through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul suffered greatly for the Lord. And it's through Jesus Christ that suffering, the suffering of Christ brought about redemptive purposes for our lives. And so for us, God uses our suffering for redemptive purposes. Serve him not out of a place of comfortability, but be sacrificial in your service just as Jesus was just like this man was. But when it comes to it, it's not, it feels hard. It feels hard to do this for the Lord of where we're pleading with the Lord to uh, relieve our suffering. And this is where I believe that Paul in verse eight, uh, prays before the Lord where he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this to remove this suffering, that it should leave me. But verse nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for you through the hardships. And if we are serving the Lord out of comfort or out of just convenience, or maybe even calling, but not serving to the needs of the church, I mean, even just look at all the list there. Out of everything that Paul experienced, his greatest anxiety was for the church, for the people of God to grow in Christ. Serve the Lord by serving his people. And though it is hard, Just rest that his grace is sufficient for you. So will we face resistance for testifying to the truth? Yes, but continue to testify to God's gracious work. Continue in doing it despite the resistance. Continue to do it um, resting in God's amazing grace. And now we jump to the resolution of our story in Act 3, where I'm sure both the Pharisees and, uh, and the, the man were feeling two separate things. Uh, to the Pharisees, they were like, yeah, this was worth it. We did it. We did this. Cool. He's cast out. We have uh, saved the people from, you know, the news of a heretic being brought about all around. And... Though they may pridefully feel like it was worth it, Jesus actually comes to condemn them. Where they respond, are we blind? 
And he says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. They thought that they were enlightened with the truth of God's word, but they were actually in spiritual darkness. They needed the light of the world to renew their eyes, their spiritual hearts of where there will be many people in proud and arrogant fashion that will come before the Lord and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And Jesus will respond in turn, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We really need to examine our hearts of are we enlightened with the truth of the gospel by God's grace or are we walking in spiritual darkness where we need Jesus to illuminate our eyes? And so if you are one of where you are in spiritual darkness, repent. May God's grace bring you to repentance. It was not worth it in the end for them, but for the man who was formerly blind, who was cast out, I'm sure he was feeling a whole bunch of emotions. I mean, he was cast out um, of the synagogue. He was cast out, you know, of uh, being excommunicated from the people of God. And John 9, 35 says that Jesus found him. I mean, we didn't, like, he didn't know how this trial was gonna go, how this was all gonna be resolved. He didn't have the hope that after the trial, he would see Jesus, his Lord, his savior. And so Jesus came to him. Do you see the divine initiative here of God's sovereign grace? Without any prompting, Jesus reached down when this man was blind, gave him physical sight, and now uh, he seeks him out and gives him spiritual sight as well. This man is a parable of our lives, but this man has yet to see Jesus truly for who he is. And now he does. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. We ourselves I mean, him, he did not have the hope that he would see Jesus. How much more of a hope do we have where we will see Jesus in heaven of where Jesus will say to us, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come, you will be with the king. We look forward to that day. We look forward to that day where we will be before him and worship him with all tears removed from our eyes. And that is worth it. That makes it worth it for us to endure the hardships, to endure the trials, to endure the danger of proclaiming Christ. The help, the hope of heaven makes it all worth it. We wait for that day despite all the resistance and sufferings that we may face. For Paul says in Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the hope of the glory that is to be revealed to us. He also says in like fashion in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So saints, keep your eyes on heaven, on the light of the world. Don't have your eyes on the darkness of this world, but keep your eyes fixated on Christ. May that hope of heaven give you encouragement and strength to face the day by his amazing grace. 
By his amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. We once were lost, but now we are found. Was blind, but now I see. His grace is sufficient for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just your gracious light. There is nothing that we could have done to deserve sight to see you. And we are so thankful. May your grace be sufficient for us today as we go on from here to experience hardship, to experience uncomfortability. May we be willing to put ourselves in positions of uncomfortableness to proclaim your gracious light to those around us. Though it is hard, though it is painful, your grace is sufficient. And we look forward to that day where your grace would lead us into heaven, where we will be before you worshiping all the saints with all the tears, all the sorrow wiped away, all the sadness and badness from the world gone. We look forward to that day where we will be with you. In Jesus' name.